1: We all up in the area like landscape, definitely bringing you the power slam of pancakes It's a mandate that you tune in. It's time to move out so we can move in and recognize that this is no illusion. I'm here to clear the air so that there is no confusion. It all started off in the book of Genesis when Jacob was wrestling with who he thought was the nemesis. And when the man saw he couldn't overpower him, he touched his tip but he really could have devoured him. And from that point, then we hear a name change, rearrange the game, so now we got to change. You are now listening to the Pancakes and Power Slam show by
2: Crave Wrestling on Blog Talk Radio. Be sure to follow Crave Wrestling on Twitter at Crave Wrestling and join the Facebook fan page, Crave Wrestling. Episode 231, ladies and gentlemen, this is Chris Featherstone, the Pancakes and Power Slam show. Follow us at Crave Wrestling as always. And follow the Facebook page at Crave Wrestling, ladies and gentlemen. 231 episodes, and uh, I made this a big deal uh, because I've said this before. I've said this on the Facebook Live page that uh, this lady uh, is definitely did some 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 really awesome stuff uh, while she's in WWE and TNA, and she is T and I, I've had this I've had this show live for nearly four and a half years. And she is the second female who has ever been on my show, so I'm really, really excited about that. That's that's a that's a big deal for me. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, former WWE star, former TNA Knockouts champion, uh, you can call her Katie Bertram, you can call her Winner, you can call her Katie Winner, but she's known as uh, Katarina Waters. How are you today?
0: Hello. I'm really great. Thank you. Thanks for the amazing introduction. I can't believe I'm the second female. That's terrible. <laughs>
2: yeah. You know what's so you know what's so funny? I have some females scheduled. Um yeah. but uh, uh you're, you're you're the second one and I've been trying uh, to reach out, you know, the past few years um but yeah i mean it's been yeah. it's been more, more more difficult to schedule a female than a male interestingly enough and that i have, uh, yeah, yeah and i have interviews on my show every week so it's it's really weird but i'm so glad you're able to uh to come tonight and uh i'm really looking forward to and i'm sure all the listeners are as well so
0: yeah uh well, I'm honored, just,
2: obviously. oh yeah we would definitely ap- appreciate that so uh wrestling was your choice of career and that's i it always find it very interesting as a mm-hmm. wrestling fan and now as a I've been a wrestling journalist for quite some time I always find it mm-hmm. very interesting to see and to find out like why professional wrestling out of anything in the possible world why professional wrestling I know that you were inspired by some people as a kid like the ultimate warrior
0: mm-hmm. but why,
2: but why wrestling uh why was that your choice of career
0: well you know, it's interesting that you say that because it wasn't a- necessarily my choice of career. My choice of career was originally really performing arts.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: So I'd um, done a lot of theater as a kid and, you know, growing up. And then I studied film and drama at university and everything like that. Mm -hmm. I just happened to be a massive wrestling fan. And um, when I found out that I could go and actually find out how to do it and I could train and learn all this really cool stuff that I'd only seen on telly, you know, obviously I wanted to try it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just one of those people. If I do something that I think is cool and that I like, I'm like, oh, it's good to go. Mm-hmm. So I started training, and then, you know, the place that I was training at was Hammerlock in the UK, and they had their own shows. So I started doing shows, and I was like, wow, this is amazing. You know, so it wasn't like it was it wasn't the necessarily the career choice, but it was like one of them. Obviously, I had, you know, I had goals to, you know, in the back of my mind, I was like, wouldn't it be great to be in WWE? one day just, you know, because I was such a big fan. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was definitely like one of the things that I wanted to do, but it wasn't like necessarily the only thing that I wanted to do. Hmm. Interesting. But, in, in, but in answer to your question, why it's just, I mean, it's one of the greatest <laughs> things on earth. Yeah. You know, I always, I love I loved the shows. I loved all the different, for me it was more about you know, the characters really, initially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, the larger than life characters and the stories between them and just how over the top and you know at times goofy it was and i just thought it was something so spectacular and unique
2: yeah
0: you know i just like i had to i had to get involved yeah on some level so uh, and i was really really lucky that i got this far
2: yeah uh, it's really interesting that you say that because i i've been watching wrestling you know over 30 years and i still mm-hmm. find that to be one of the most if not the most important part of professional wrestling is the emphasis of characters because, you know, out of all the people I interviewed who, you know, were wrestling fans as kids, you -hmm. know, they, they, they remember matches sort of, but they remember characters much more. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. 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 And, and, and what do you like, and that's interesting because we'll get to a a really strong character that you had in TNA uh, Mm -hmm. with, with you and Angelina Love. We'll get to that in a minute, but just, what? Do you do you think that the wrestling in general still has that same emphasis, or do you think that it's uh, withered a bit?
0: Um, I think it's sort of it comes and goes. I think mm. I think there's a times when there's really you know strong characters that pop up, and there's times when you know it's it's not encouraged as much. I mean, obviously at the moment, you know, the character's are not necessarily as like cartoonish, but. You know, if I think of strong characters, like especially strong female characters like Sasha Banks and mm-hmm. Bailey and mm-hmm. uh Becky Lynch and you know, all the girls that are up there right now, they have these really strong characters too that I think really speak to people. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and then but I, I don't think that necessarily they're always encouraging like the more cartoonish mm-hmm you know, things like, that. you know, like, they're not doing, like, a plumber anymore, <laughs> you know, thank yeah. God, <laughs> but I think, but I think definitely strong characters are still,
2: yeah. you, it, know. It, you know. You know, the interesting part about that is, I would say probably the strongest character is, mm-hmm. is Bailey at the time, and, mm-hmm. you know, and the thing is, as you, you, you use the word cartoonist, which is a very interesting and very good, very well descriptive word of, the type of characters back in the day. But I think mm-hmm. that that trend is something that well, as much as fans nowadays want to admit uh, there's a, it's a different breed, so to speak. I think mm-hmm. that, that, I think that that trend will, will be, will, will never, will, go away. I think that's something right. that, I think that's something that's still one of the strongest parts of professional wrestling mm-hmm. is the strong emphasis of the characters because
3: yeah. you have
2: someone who actually uh, you, you, you have someone who actually comes out with some inflatable, you know uh, figures and pretends, you know, and gives an air high five to everybody and that's mm-hmm. the most over female on the rock right. you know what
0: I mean? so it's
2: something <laughs> yeah. that will never never go away so yeah, yeah. so what you know, you're you're talking about the strong characters what else inspired mm-hmm. you to become a wrestler and then you know who trained you to to kind of take that next step
0: um well i mean that's really it yeah, in terms of inspirational so well i did like uh, muay thai boxing back in the day you know really like you know, fight sports. I've done some MMA and stuff like that. So, that was always part of my, you know, I enjoyed fighting Mm -hmm. and then I enjoy acting and performing. So, it was kind of like the perfect mix, really, for me to to get involved in. And I started at Hamalock, which which was the NWA UK. Mm -hmm. And so, John Ryan was training me there and then after that, I moved to FWA and I was training with Mark Sloan in Portsmouth. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, then I got picked up by WWE, so I was
2: lucky. Yeah. So who was and so of course you know, uh, before you came on the main roster, you made some noise mm-hmm. in in uh, OVW, how the Valley Wrestling. So mm-hmm. who was the person that was kind of the uh, the, the 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 bridge uh, or the conduit mm-hmm. between Hammerlock and OVW? Who was the person who scouted you to 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 uh, to see that you were. Um, you know, suitable to be a talent in OVW?
0: Well, I was in FWE, but in between uh, that, sorry, FWA.
2: Frontier, right?
0: Um, Frontier Wrestling Alliance, yeah. And that was Alex Shane was running it with with Elisar Cabrera. And um, so Alex Shane really scouted me first. To go there, and they were sort of the known company in England. Mm-hmm. And then um, after that, I'd actually gone to try out. They had like these open tryouts at the time where you could apply, submit on their website for WWE. So I'd gone to that, and I hadn't heard anything. And then I met Tommy Dreamer on an independent show, mm-hmm. and he said to me, "Oh, well, if we come back over, you know, give me a call, and I'll get you booked and you know, get you a tryout, whatever." So then that's happened. And then when I was there, Johnny Ace saw me, and he hired me basically.
2: Oh wow. That's uh, that's so. awesome. So, so kudos yes. to Dreamer on that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> that's, uh, that's awesome. See, I love hearing yeah. stories like that. Like, I love, you know, finding out who was the bridge that led right. from the Indies to WWE, and you know, yeah. to 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 you know, in your case, is Tommy Dreamer, and that's that's really that's really cool to know. Um, yeah. So yeah, so so you made a lot of noise in, in in OVW. So, what are the you know some of the most memorable moments you had from Ohio Valley as far as um, just your time there and just the, the uh the people that you've wrestled. Any, any memorable matches mm-hmm.
0: there? Uh yeah, I mean obviously the latter match with Beth Phoenix
2: mm-hmm.
0: which um a lot of people were still talking about to me afterwards and uh, my whole my whole entire feud with O D B was fantastic. Oh yeah. And uh for me, I mean, I was like, I was fantastic. I <laughs> for me. That was fantastic. And just in general, like working with Al Snow and then Danny Davis as well. But Al Snow was like the main, you know, go to person for us to be able to, you know, go to him with storyline ideas and confer with him and just that whole, having a whole creative process there, you know, rather than just showing up for work and doing what you're supposed to do. Right. You know, to be able to, to be involved and to learn how to, like, mold a character and how to fashion it and how to, you know, how to write a storyline and how to build a feud and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. So just in terms of, like, the creative, that was a really an amazing time.
2: Yeah. Now that's an interesting segue to what I want to ask you now as far as mm-hmm. um, you, you're talking about developing a character and had a lot of liberty to do that. Now, Mm -hmm. was that same liberty there when you were called up to be the sister of Paul Birchell? I mean, how did that come about, and what type of influence did you have on that, if any?
0: Um, Well, they suggested it to us, us and I was. Crazy about the idea. Um, you know, we had a meeting about how to best go about it and stuff because they wanted to do the incest thing, but they didn't want to. You know, they wanted to treat it like with respect and, mm-hmm. and make it a good storyline rather than just like, you know, throw it out there and, it, you know, because it was going to get a, some slack anyways, which in the end, unfortunately, they had to call it because of the PG mm-hmm. thing. Um, so, I mean, it was kind of, I suppose we would have less. Mm -hmm. influence know. i always try to come up with you know ideas for for things and i talk to the writers and things like that but it was a little bit harder to get yourself heard there Mm -hmm. shall we say yeah initially
2: yeah now now you you talk about the incest angle and and was Mm -hmm. that and, and there's you know there's been a lot of reports over the years as far as mcmahon vince mcmahon wanting that type of uh, very sure. a very edgy angle. Now was right. was it a matter of Vince, you know, letting uh, letting you know the the other people know, letting the writers know that he needed two people to be in that angle, and you were chosen. Was it was it kind of that direction?
0: Um, I don't I don't really know to be honest, because I'm not on that end, and I wouldn't know what right. you know what kind of conversation Vince would have had with the writers. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I'd I'd suggested. You know, to put me and Paul together, um, just as a as a team, and then, you know, one of the writers came back to me and said, "How about you a brother and sister, and you're like in love?" And I said, "Oh, that's great." <laughs> so, I mean, who knows what, what was really, yeah. you know, who ultimately had the initial idea to do that?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it it, it kind of worked uh, on the on the main stage. Uh, I, I think that uh, both of your um, characters, did the, the the fact that both of you could do very well as far as the acting part is, it's funny because mm-hmm. you said performing arts. I think, I think your characters fit a uh, performing arts very well. So you used kind mm-hmm. of both of your you know aspirations all in one because you right. have some, you have some really good characters. Um, oh, thanks. And, yeah, and, and so and so you talked about you know the 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 character being nixed because of the PG um, direction they were going with. Now, mm-hmm. it, 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 you know, you, there was a couple other moments that you had in your WWE career, but it seems like you never really caught any traction. Um, right. You know, was, was there was there talks of? Trying to do something with you. Was there some frustration going on with the crea- with you and creative at the time? How, you know, wh- why was it a, a matter of just them really not utilizing you to your potential at that time?
0: Well, I again, I'm not the I'm not the person to ask. I'm not in that meeting. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was like who makes the decision. Obviously, it was extremely frustrating for me. Mm-hmm. You know, especially towards the end when I wasn't really working a lot at all. Yeah. So but I mean A you can always you know, wonder like why and then you could also you know, at some point I have to look at myself and ask myself if maybe I didn't, you know, work hard enough or I didn't bring enough ideas or, you know, what I could have done to to influence it more or grow it more. So yeah, it's always like an open ended yeah question. Because sometimes, you know, somebody will just take somebody and go, Oh, let's do this and it'll fly and sometimes you know, somebody who's ultimately, you know, talented or could go further doesn't doesn't get the chance necessary. That's true. And sometimes I mean you've seen that with, you know, people in the past that have gone up then and they've tried, you know, two, three different characters and then they've maybe been released and then they've come back a couple of years later and all of a sudden they're big star.
2: Right.
0: You know, it's sometimes there's no rhyme or reason to it. I like to think that, you know, just from my own growth I like to say, okay, I should have probably worked a little bit harder on myself, mm. you know, at that time to make things happen for myself.
2: Now, do you think maybe you should have, um, maybe you should have been a little bit more
0: vocal as far as your frustration? I don't think, as far as my frustration, you know, I don't think it like serves anybody to to go like know um, to walk around saying, "Oh, this sucks," you know. I mean, a little bit more, perhaps, just. Did pitch storyline ideas, but maybe right. instead of pitching three storyline ideas, I should have pitched ten or twenty, or
1: mm.
0: you know, yeah. worked more on my look, or try different characters, or you know, shot more promos, or you know, there's like a gazillion things that you can do to, uh, to you know, try try to make something happen.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, so, I mean, you know, I mean, as far as as far as character development and just really focusing mm-hmm. on character, your your character in TNA was money. Uh, to me at least, Um, you you know, when you were winter and then you were more of a, you you had more of an alluring type of character Mm -hmm. uh, and it it worked very well. You were an awesome heel. Uh, And then, you know, one of, I think one of the defining moments in TNA is when uh, you were in a program with Angelina Love and Mm -hmm. uh, you know, she became mute for a number of weeks uh and right. and, that, and that was that was really, really good storyline development. Who came up with that idea and did you have any emphasis
0: uh to that? Yeah, I mean that was Vince Russo's idea. Oh, okay. Entirely. You know, and I did have a couple of uh meetings with him where I would sit down, we you know, throw some ideas around and stuff like that.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So, you know, uh he was always very open and receptive and then he would take that and take what he liked and, you know, write the storyline but Yeah, essentially that was Russo's idea and that was his storyline. And uh, I'll always be grateful to him for that. Mm -hmm. You know, so I really enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I think that was probably one of, to me, I think that was one of your defining moments and just your television career between WWE Mm -hmm. and TNA because you had such a prominent role on the television show you know, and and that was, and that was something that really, really stood out for me. So that was, that was was awesome. So, and and what caused the angle to kind of subside? Was it one of those things like it's kind of ran its course?
0: Again, I don't really know because it seemed to not really have an ending. It seemed to just abruptly stop and all of a sudden it was like never heard from again. Yeah, Uh, I mean, I don't know. It also coincided sort of with of those who are leaving, so that could have something, something yeah, to do with it. That's true. You know, since it was a storyline, maybe whoever, you know, was more at the forefront of writing after that, maybe they just didn't like it. You know, so... That's true. That's true. I, I don't know.
2: Yeah. And uh, what actually... Um as, as far as you leaving TNA, what, was, mm-hmm. it, what, was it was an was an amicable? Was it just kind of like a creative has nothing for you type of thing? I, I know that you, <laughs> I tell- and and again, I know you can't speak from the uh, the, the the office standpoint, right. but you can't speak as far as what you've been told by right. you know the people. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know what? I was told nothing. Oh wow. I was not even told like any one thing. My contract wasn't up, but they just. They just stopped flying me in, and that was the end of that.
2: Wow, wow, yeah,
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's that's unfortunate because you definitely <laughs> yeah. had a, you definitely had a strong character and right. Well, you know, thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, So I mean, you know, you uh, are, you're still doing some indie work at this point, right?
0: Yes, here and there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. So what are your what are your endeavors now? What, what are you up to nowadays?
0: Uh, Well, I'm mainly focusing on acting and then also uh, writing, directing is something that I want to do more of. Mm -hmm. So I have a film coming out that's about to be released in Japan theatrically this Saturday, actually, September 3rd. So that's called Karate Kill. So that was um, pretty awesome. I played a villain, Simona. (laughs) Uh, I'm actually leaving to go to England tonight to continue shooting uh, Redcon Mm one which is a zombie film. We already shot a couple of months earlier this year. Mm-hmm. And then to uh, some Logistics had to, you know, stop, or they had to, you know, start production for a couple of months. Now we're going back and we're finishing that film. So that's really awesome.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And then, well, I just finished making a web series called Red Light Diaries. So that's on YouTube right now. And that was sort of more like the first experiment into, you know, creating my own content. hmm and uh, some of it I'm very happy with, some of it, you know, I lack some technical skills still, mm. um, which, which is apparent to me, at least. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, but it's it's at YouTube.com forward slash Red Light Diaries if anybody wants to check it out and perhaps let me know what they think of it. Yeah. Um. So that was, but that was really like, yeah, in terms of, you know, fulfillment, that was probably, you know, my favorite thing. So I'm definitely, I'm writing a new project now with a friend of mine Mm -hmm. uh, that we want to create a feature film, hopefully next year. And so, yeah, so I'll keep you posted on on progress on that if you like.
2: Yeah, please do. Absolutely. Yeah. And then Uh. finally, uh, finally, where can we find you on social media?
0: Right. So I'm on Facebook.com forward slash Katarina's Infamy. And then my Twitter and Instagram are both Katarina's Infamy
2: fantastic thanks so much yeah. kat i really really appreciate awesome discussion appreciate you available thank you time so back. much
0: yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely absolutely.
2: <laughs> absolutely thanks a lot you have a great night
0: okay you too thanks. take care take <laughs> the bring what you got
3: the measuring stick just changed around here buddy you're looking at it four
1: corners three on mine let's go the whole squad is making it clear. We've taken this year. You know who we are, but you don't know why we here. So this is where the big boys play. These big boys play. Like who defies the living God? Get out the big boys' way. Outsiders with the swoop in. We live as kings. You see in us. But our third man waits in the wings. And when the time is right, we shock him with the proper attack. I go for dolo, but ain't solo. Cut the promo in black. Hollywood, Hendrix, Prizzle, pinning them. To the and I'm Dash Wundekin with the strength of a hundred men with one intent to see the will fulfilled of the one who sent his son to give himself but you rap out your gas and your rags torture, white coffins when I drop a bomb, my mic's awesome never lost faith, you in our space, you can all skate, suffer but never cripple, no bin walls in my cross face, from here to saturn they raving, anticipating I was frostbit, now I am glacier, mixed with some vader, get to hawking with these animals, using God for my defense in Alabama. We and That's beautiful, Bobby Eaton. Me and Priest. We the dangerous alliance. Nah, the so Harlem Heat. tie the do-rag before we do battle. You are talking sheep. You all what you speak. This too still number is took back. We rappin' that work pack. The foundation shaking, no mistaken. Yeah, we shook that. trusting God, we tried pushing forward, never look back. Meekness ain't at all weakness. Some people must just that. stamping out this crook rap. hes on in the power. We're on, on the razor's edge, leg drop after we powerbomb. Tired of the lies, man, we bringing the truth through. Diligent and fruitful, the owners in our group, too. It's good to be king, sold out, this war is brutal. We playing them war games, our army go move, too. Youth crew, I'm in the Baptist, with a bat in my hand. And stand to shatter all your plans so they don't matter. In the grand scheme, it's that easy. We tag team and sound the brothers, we love it, demand the win, establish it, fit the to the champions. <laughs> this is where the big boys play, huh? We
3: ain't here to play.
2: And a special thank you to Katarina Lee Waters. Kat was uh I definitely appreciate uh, her time. She's uh, she's actually uh, heading to the UK um, actually as we speak. And yeah, so I'm really, I'm really excited. she spent some time tonight to uh, be on the show, and uh, episode 231 is on the way. We have a lot to talk about, especially on the headlines part. And so, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I'm really excited about tonight because uh, it, it just, it just seems like a match made in heaven as far as me and this wonderful, uh, this wonderful guy who's going to come. On the line, a match made in heaven, SummerSlam, oh yeah, Elizabeth, so I'm looking forward to it. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, from Forbes and Bleach Report, Mr. Alfred Cunnawa, how are you tonight, sir?
3: Great to be here. How are you, my friend?
2: I'm wonderful. It's great to have you, man.
3: Very excited to be here. Great interview
2: with Katie Lee. Um, I learned a lot, and uh, I'm very yeah.
3: I'm very happy to, to be tag teaming here. I do think this is a match made in heaven.
2: Absolutely, man, let's dive into it Without further ado, let's get into the headlines let's go. As we've been doing every week, ladies and gentlemen The takeaways from the Cruiserweight Classic Alfred, what do you got? Cruiserweight
3: Classic has been my favorite thing uh, in wrestling Which is Saying a lot because I have enjoyed WWE as the brand split goes on. I really do think Raw and SmackDown are coming into their own. But, and, you know, NXT is always there. I love TakeOver and, and whatnot. But I really, really just fall in love with the Cruiserweight Classic, mostly because there are so many stories with every single match. I, I loved it with uh, with Rick Swan um, when he wrestled Lindsay Dorado. There was this story of them competing with each other time and time again and knowing each other's moves, so they were always one step ahead and stealing each other's moves and and countering. So that was great. Drew Gulak and Zack Sabre. It was Drew Gulak playing the bad guy, the heel, which you don't really see too much babyface heel interplay. They more focus on the competition. So I really did like that from Drew Gulak, who felt that Zack Sabre was being pretty much treated as a poster boy this tournament, And, and he was working heel, and I really liked their physical type mat wrestling match. And then finally, TJ Perkins, Johnny Gargano. Gargano is of that old, Sami Zayn and Daniel Bryan is that likable underdog. And when he finally tapped out to TJ Perkins, you could just hear the air come out of that building in full sail. When when the fans mm-hmm. just did not want him to lose, but he was fighting through the knee injury. It just been an all around great
2: tournament. Yeah, well said. I, I totally agree with every point that you made. I, you know, I, I what Rich Juan and TJ Perkins as far as who war in the tournament now uh it, it's certainly two of my favorite. um and I, I just for some reason i just got a soft spot for tj perkins uh just because of his time as as manic and and you know a.k.a suicide whatever you want to call him uh back in tna and i think that he just deserved uh just a prominent spot in I was actually happy that he beat Gargano. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Gargano. I interviewed him on my show and I wrote the article on SI. Um, it was so it was great, you know, as far as uh, interviewing Gargano and just his love for the business. He actually said in my interview that he doesn't mind being called a Mark still, uh, and so that's that's great. Um, the dynamic between Saber Junior and Gulak, like you said, was great. Um, it was a heel-face type of role, and I think, that, I think that's going to help Gulak. I, I really think that's going to allow Gulak to uh, have a spot in the, on the Raw division as that heel. Him and Aria Divari I think, are doing a pretty good job, did a pretty good job ex- establishing themselves as a character that would give them enough steam to head to raw as definitive heels.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely, and um, again, with the Cruiserweight Classic building the tournament, they are more focused on the wrestling, which is great in that space, but like you said, that, that character development, which is also something you brought up in the Katie Lee interview, is going to be very important when they become Cruiserweights on Raw, because this is a different audience. Um, there has been some crossover between hardcore fans and casual fans from TV to NXT. But I do think that there is still a very large amount of casual fans who you can't just expect from their background, especially when you drill down to these cruiserweights, you know? Um, so they're going to have to have these characters in order to really solidify themselves on the Raw roster.
2: Absolutely. Next we have Brock Lesnar uh, versus Randy Orton too. Uh, is it scheduled for not a champions? No. Is it scheduled for backlash? No. Is it scheduled for Survivor Series? No. Eh, Just a house show in Chicago.
3: Yeah, I was shocked. That that announcement came out of nowhere, and then Randy Orton confirmed it. I mean, it's in Allstate Arena, which is a hot wrestling venue in the city of Chicago. The part of me thinks that maybe WWE was going to announce one of those live specials, the way they did with Beast of the East or the Madison Square Garden special. It's not necessarily a pay-per-view, but more of an offshoot. Pay per view because I just can't imagine using Brock Lesnar in this type of venue and just having it be some live house show. I mean, uh, yeah. you've got all the tools for for a great event.
2: Yeah, but what's funny about that and what's what's really interesting is that it's sandwiched in between. Uh Class of the Champions and Backlash. I guess I, I probably should have reversed, I should have reversed that. that. Uh, I think Backlash is first, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yeah. yeah. Uh So it's sandwiched between Backlash. I think Backlash is on the 11th, and then Class of Champions is yeah. on the 25th. 25th. And so it's right a day beforehand. So I don't understand, I don't understand how they would sandwich that right in between those two premier brand split. I mean, that's their debut pay-per-views. You know, from five years out, that they would choose that date to to bring Brock Lesnar in. And like you said, you know, there are some times where he went against like Luke Harper, and he's done he's done live events before. But like you said, I mean, most of the live events, you know, the, like you said, the Beast in the East, uh, uh, Beast in the East, and the Madison Square Garden when he went against Big Show. You know, they made a big deal for him to go against, you know, Kofi Kingston, you know, when they were in Japan, Uh, you know, just because he brought that star power to a live event, to a house show. And it's just really weird to me, um, especially when there's really no payoff that came from Lesnar Orton and Orton's going right into uh, a Bray Wyatt uh, feud. Which I'm okay with Orton Wyatt, and we'll talk about that more on the SmackDown part. But where does that leave Lesnar? I mean, you know, usually he comes in and just kind of goes out for a few months. But I'm just wondering why they would choose a live event from him with no build. You know, of course it's going to be, of course it's going to be broadcast. Of course, you know, reporters are going to say something about it. It's just weird to me why they would choose. You know that date.
3: Yeah, and uh, it's uh, very peculiar timing. Uh, I guess WWE just trying to pump up their live event business to let everybody know Mm -hmm. that there's not a single event that you can miss in WWE, whether it is a pay-per-view, TV, or live event. They do have that brand split, so now from Raw and SmackDown with uh, thinner rosters, there's not going to be as much star power per show. So to mix in a Brock Lesnar, especially given what he's making with WWE as one of the highest-paid athletes in WWE, uh, they they probably just want to maximize his contract date as much as possible. I'm guessing they were looking at how many times they could use him, and they realized that they still have a couple uh, of of, of, uh, dates that they could use Brock Lesnar for, and they didn't just want him to go to waste, given what their schedule is.
2: Yeah, Yeah, that certainly, certainly can be the case. And you did make a good point about the whole live event, you know. You can't miss, you can't miss an, event. an event. You know, it can, be, know, it another, can be another Diesel uh, 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 Bob type of thing. So there you, go. you never know. <laughs> uh, Bo Dallas arrested for a drunken incident on an airplane. Now, you know, WWE is all about PR, and uh, you know, especially with the advent of, of more exposure from uh, from a crossover standpoint, John Cena's on Team Choice Awards and ESPYs and everything like that. So, and, you know, they have an affiliation with ESPN that's never been that, uh, the partnership's never been that strong, uh, and stronger than ever now. So you know, they have those opportunities, you know, to have more crossover feel. And, you know, you have people like Bo Dallas, who has absolutely very, very minimal stock, in the WWE right now making these type of decisions, man. You that's uh, that's really treading on thin ice. He really is, I mean, and he does have that history, uh, dating
3: back to his days in NXT where he mm-hmm. was popped for a DUI. So this, um I'm really hoping isn't a sign of a of, of demons for Bo Dallas. It just did seem like he was partying and maybe partied a little too hard, I reports Dictated that he was singing Lion King songs Which I mean I don't yeah. think there's nothing Anything wrong with that because I'm a big Lion King fan Um uh so but you know As long as you're sober singing I can't Wait to be king is great but It, oh, it yeah. seems like it got out of control <laughs> It seems like it got out of control <laughs> for both Dallas and uh you know I just Really hope the one thing I could think of is just that I, I just hope this isn't a pattern with Bo In his personal life That has begun to take over Um I really hope this is just another isolated Incident uh but it does sound pretty serious. I mean, you go on an airplane at an airport, and these days, you know, with all the threats that are out there and how careful TSA is with, with every passenger, um, some more than others, obviously, but you've got to be careful. And the fact that Bo oh, Dallas yeah. allowed himself oh, to get yeah. this reckless as part of a publicly traded company on an airport really does sound problematic.
2: Very much so. I think this is what Bo Dallas went to do with this whole situation.
1: Delete!
3: Delete!
2: Delete! 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 Pretty much says it all right there. Next we, we have Rob Van Dam.
3: Um, go ahead. You know, what, Bo Dallas, Bray that? Wyatt, final deletion three out of all this, and they delete Bo Dallas? Is that what happens?
2: Uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, Bray Wyatt, uh, you know, final deletion three. It looks like we're having two with uh, the Hardys against the K. Um, yeah, the Wyatt
3: family already ripped them off, so why not just go all the way?
2: Exactly. You know, another compound uh, type of deal. Um, Well, quick quick question. Which one did you think was better? Final Deletion or the compound match?
3: I, okay. I liked Final Deletion in like an ironic Rocky Horror picture type way to where Mm -hmm. the storyline had gotten so ridiculous that I no longer looked at it like to try to make sense or to think that this should be good in the realm of what wrestling is. So I allowed myself to kind of lose myself in that storyline, and I enjoyed it. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I'm looking for – it's almost like Sharknado. That's how I look at Final Deletion, to where it's <laughs> so bad, but it's almost self-aware, and therefore it makes it better. With the WWE storyline, it happened so close to Final Deletion, and, and the New Day is – I'm glad that they give them storylines that you can take them seriously, which I think is very important for that stable, but that it just did not fit what they do.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I think I I think the point goes to the compile match for me. Um, I, the final deletion was, and and I agree with you as far as it was just so bizarre. You know, I, I enjoyed it because it was so bizarre, and to me, it revitalized uh, the public interest for TNA. Uh, I think that that really, I think it had like four hundred thousand views or something like that, and yeah, biggest ratings right you know, year yeah 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 and I think that was great i i don't know how I feel about trying to rehash that uh with with decay um but I think if you do it with anyone it would be decay i mean that's you know that's that's uh uh corbin's uh creation there uh so or Corgan uh Billy Corgan's creation there so and and i I think that they the tag team from a theatrical from from a character standpoint has done pretty good but I think that they're kind of reaching their limit too I don't know you know, as far as just being, they're kind of the same they're kind of a whole beautiful thing and there's there's not much dynamic to me and Decay, I think this may be a good way to kind of help Decay as far as just kind of being important again because it just seems like their stock is start, starting to dwindle for me yeah, absolutely mm-hmm. Next we have uh, Rob Van Dam stating uh, on a recent Interview that he was uh, contacted By WWE last October uh, Doing the whole uh, You know, Dudley's thing But he declined because of the offer He also states that uh, you know He spoke with them, but uh, There's just not much interest in returning To the WWE, and of course We we, we heard that with Tommy Dreamer recently And in in, uh and just MVP com- conversations kind of fading out. It just, it just appears as if, you know, the, the, uh, the vets don't have much in- interest based on what's being offered to them.
3: That's exactly what it seems like. And just based on what we've seen in the market, it just sounds like a lot of these veterans can make more money on the independent wrestling circuit than they can in WWE. Exactly. WWE yep. has a leverage in terms of signing talent to where you're going to be on TV. You're going to be in millions of homes in the future. You're going to be able to make more money on the independents. But a lot of these veterans who've established themselves, who've already been on TV, they have the leverage now. So when WWE yep. gives them a lowball offer that they're not going to budge from, the veterans just say, no, thank you. Um, I'm just going to compete on the independence and, and make more money that way. We've seen uh, some veterans resurface on WWE TV and, and, and SmackDown to where the headbangers, Came back tonight uh, for a, what looked like a one-off. We've seen Rhino. We've seen Kurt uh, uh, Hawkins is on his way back, and then Sheldon was supposed to come back before he got hurt. But other than that, I mean, we heard a lot of names of people who were to, to be brought back to help with the brand split, and it really hasn't resurfaced. We, we, we've seen mm-hmm. the most veterans turn WWE down.
2: Yeah, and and it's interesting because if you think about it, Especially for the headbangers, you know, you you have all these talents still just, you know, traveling across the country and even outside of the country doing independence that actually helps their stock, you know, as far as promoters wanting them, because you have to think about it from a promoter standpoint. They're trying to get people in the building so they can make a profit. So they need a, a good enough name. They need a headlining name that will bring people, you know, to the building, to the arena, where, you know, wherever hall or, or building they're having their show at. So if they, you know, as far as the headbangers, you know, they have a show next next week as seen on WWE, you know, you can, you can as seen on WWE SmackDown Live, you know, you can promote it in a way that actually helps the headbangers. It most likely will be a one-off thing, and I'm certainly glad that it will be because they don't need to be mainstays at all. Uh, but it actually helps them as independents, and it helps, you know, people uh, like uh, the, the jobber, the first jobber for um, James something, uh, James Ellsworth, or whatever Ellsworth was.
3: Yeah, Superstar. And, James
2: Ellsworth. And, yeah, and, and um, he was actually getting all types of interviews. It was interviewed by WWE.com, and from what I from what I heard, his uh, indie schedule just spiked and so I mean that helps him as a jobber for for Braun Strowman so just imagine you know you have that type of uh, popularity now and you're ha- you have promoters wanting your name on the flyer because of that and you have that much liberty you don't want to come back to the WWE
3: no absolutely and I, I love personally James Ellsley he just became such a big star on Twitter um, during that segment and and it's really – it kind of laid the groundwork for what has become one of my favorite segments on Raw is the Braun Strowman segment, mostly because they're doing it right with Braun, keeping it short matches and their squash matches. But they're also at that little tinge of of, of hilarity with these, with these jobbers who seem to be trying to outdo each other in craziness every single week. And, and I just love it.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I'll get into my – Thoughts in in detail a little bit more in in, in a a little bit. But yeah, I have absolutely no problem with the the Jobber segment. Next, we have uh, Ryback revealing his original uh, plans for WrestleMania. He was supposed to squash AJ Styles and Vince McMahon telling Ryback, you know, you're going to squash that little twerp, quote unquote. (laughs) And, you know, and it's it's crazy. I actually listened to the entire uh, Ryback podcast uh, and just some. (laughs) <laughs> just some really crazy shady things that uh and I and, and here's the thing, it's really hard for me to disbelieve what he's saying because you kinda of saw it manifest on there as far as and and you know, just kind of you know, rolling the tape back in your head, you can kind of pinpoint the certain things that he's saying, like, Oh yeah, I can see right there, I can see, you know, you had that push there that was automatically you know, that was kind of they kind of subsided after a little bit. I see, you know, after your ankle injury, they put the title on you. I see all these empty promises. I see where this could be an empty promise. And so, yeah, I mean, I I have no reason to disagree the story that he came up, that he, you know, conveyed as far as Vince McMahon promising him the moon and the stars and failing to deliver and you know, having him want to squash A.J. Styles, there's just so much that comes in my mind about that. I wonder if that really came to pass and Ryback was going to squash A.J. Styles. Just think of the state that he would be in right now.
3: I, I have a hard time believing that particular story. I think that was more of just Ryback is a, he's a little off, but he's almost crazy like a fox, especially on social media, to where he knows how to play with the Internet and make statements that will get everybody all wound up, and I think that's what that was designed to do, because if you look at how AJ Styles was booked around WrestleMania, there's no way he was in any position to be squashed. The second he debuted at the Royal Rumble, he was treated like a big deal, and they were talking about his accolades, and this Mm. is one of those type of um, paradigm shifts in WWE to where they're treating this guy like the guy he is. They're not giving him a new name or anything. They said, this is AJ Styles in WWE. He got a huge reaction, and I just don't think coming out of the Royal Rumble that would have ever been the plan. However, I'm mm-hmm. with you in terms of agreeing with WWE, or agreeing with Ryback talking about being promises and the other just based on him being of that WWE mold, him being somebody who Vince McMahon would gravitate toward, someone who was in the main event for a while, both as a babyface and a heel, and somebody who seemed to get a lot of start and stops, which I can only imagine mm-hmm. how frustrating that could be for a guy like Ryback who was so close to being just the next guy after
2: John Cena. Yeah, and – You know, to your A.J. Styles point, you know, I definitely see, you know, as far as, you know, we all see from the Royal Rumble, you know, picked as number three and, you know, staying in there for nearly half an hour. Uh, But there has been reports. um, There have been reports as far as Vince McMahon, even with the debut, uh, kind of initially wanting him to be more of a mid-card guy. So, you know, and, and, you know, he really kind of started his – His first big break, so to speak, was his uh, his feud with Chris Jericho. Uh, So, and and, you know, he ended up losing at WrestleMania to Chris Jericho. The the next night is when he became you know number one contender on Raw, if I'm not mistaken. But it could have shifted. It could have went a different way. So, I mean, it's really interesting. You know, and you did you know you do bring a pretty good point as far as the social media is concerned. But you know, this being on this podcast, and like I said, I listened to the entire thing and. He was really serious about just, you know, he was frustrated. And he, and he tried to, he, he he tried to, kind of uh, put a positive spin on it throughout the podcast. But, you know, you could just tell that he was just wanting to vent, and, you know, just him saying that Vincent Man came up to him and basically promised him a, a top heel spot and squashing AJ Styles. I'm just trying to figure out like why. If this was false, and it and it very well could be, it very well it very well could be just to to ignite interest in him, you know, even as an independent person. But I'm just trying to figure out if this indeed was false. You know, why would he choose the name of AJ Styles out of any possible person in the entire roster? You know, to say he was supposed to squash that. That's what just kind of makes me think that it may be valid.
3: No, absolutely. It could be valid. Um, and if you watch, I remember he was interviewing as it led up to WrestleMania, the interviews that he had when he was still with WWE and he was featured on the pre-show. He was very frustrated. And he, he said kind of the same thing, that he felt that he was going to be in a better position than this, that he felt this was unacceptable to be on the pre-show. He very well could be telling the truth. I would not be surprised if he was because WWE. It's tough to do that balancing act where there's only so much TV time and and mm-hmm. so little spots. So in order to keep talent happy, sometimes maybe management has to tell them things like that. Hey, you know, we're, we're going to have to do this and the other. But um, like we talked about, it, things can change on a dime but based on reaction, based on. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure the reception of AJ Styles. Um, if right back we all this, I'm sure it was at a time before AJ Styles came in or. Maybe even shortly afterward, WWE did not expect Styles to get over as quickly. Where they just said, "All right, this guy's going to come from the Indies, and you know he's he's a veteran, so we're going to have you go." But as soon as that thing took off, I, I don't think there was any way WWE felt like they could stop it, and that's where plans changed at the behest of, or much to the chagrin of Ryback. Right right
2: I agree, and I think that the initial reaction at the Royal Rumble was really what what started, you know, the the whole pivotal process. They they may have had the intention of bringing in AJ Styles to feed him the right back. But, you know, just the reaction that he received uh, from the Royal Rumble and the the Raw following, it just it it probably just kind of changed the direction uh, as far as uh, where to go. Dixie Carter reported to be completely out of power in TNA and is, is, you know, basically set to leave soon. So, you know, there's been – it's been a stalemate for – Quite some time for a number of years, you know. There's been reports after reports of different companies trying to get a majority, trying to buy the company, but you know, she basic it basically being at a standstill and and just kind of fall through because she always wanted to keep majority stock, Um, so uh, majority power. But at the same time, you know, now uh, Corgan's uh, the president, and you know her her power. Is is Diminishing and and reportedly Non-existent so we Actually may see the end of Dixie Carter and TNA so Here's here's my issue with this though You know Dixie Carter Has never been the person who You know has been Known to really Make a huge impact uh, With TNA no pun intended But I Don't See Cor uh, Corgan Doing much more because I did you know I I did Research and even before Corgan's time in TNA I just like to keep Myself abreast of of indie Promotions of of notable indie promotions Like Jersey Championship Wrestling PWG uh, Championship Hollywood from Florida uh, uh, Championship Wrestling from Hollywood Rather and and just like uh, Stuff like that Paragon Pro Wrestling And Resistance Pro, you know, you know, he was one of the owners of Resistance Pro, and he really didn't make he really didn't do much there. And I'm just trying to figure out how other than his kind of zany ideas with decay and final deletion. Other than that, uh, what is he really going to do to really totally shift the kind of dying breed that's TNA right now?
3: I'm wondering the same exact thing because say what you will about Dixie Carter, she was able to persist with that company, get them a lucrative television deal on Spike, which is a mm-hmm. prominent cable network for for years, and still to this day every year you hear TNA's gone out of business, TNA's gone out of business, but under Dixie Carter's leadership, they were able to continue to land television deals recently on Pop T V, which no it's not glamorous, but it's keeping TNA alive. Yep. I am yep. aware of yep. Billy Corgan's Ability as a wrestling fan, uh, as somebody who's very passionate about, passionate about WWE or pro wrestling, and it's, and it's good. That's where it starts, is being passionate about pro wrestling. I just don't know about his chops as an executive, as somebody who's now looks like he's in position to lead TNA in the future. And this is an embattled company that has dealt with its share of, of hard times and continues to do so. So is Billy Corgan the guy to turn that around? I don't think he is.
2: I agree. I don't I agree. think he is either, and you know to add to your point, Dixie's relationships, positive relationships with very very notable names, namely Sting and Kurt Angle. You know they, she because of Dixie, because of their, because of a good relationship with Sting and Kurt Angle. You know, and we saw that every single year. Sting wanted to retire, but Sting staying in TNA, Sting in TNA another year, Sting in TNA another year. You know Dixie talking him into another year. I don't see, I don't see Billy Corgan having that type of strong relationship with a top legendary name like a Sting or Kurt Angle to do what Dixie did as far as continuing to bring in Sting and Kurt Angle. I mean, Kurt Angle was there for what nine years, and so, wow. uh, well, ten because he I think uh, earlier this year is when he stopped. So he was there for ten right. years. You know he was there for he was there uh so what seven so 99 to 06 uh in um in wwe and then from 06 to 16 so he was there longer tna than we was in wwe so that's that's a very good thing to put on the resume for dixie Carter. and of course you know sting was there for 10 years too just about and so i don't see that when it comes to billy corgan i think you know, I think Corgan is going to do the best that he can to really kind of bring in the theater aspect to who he has. But as far as large acquisitions, I, I just don't see that possible.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm Especially on such a smaller scale, um, getting a guy who is now technically in national wrestling um, with this TV deal. And this platform in TNA, I just don't see where he's going to be able to to assist. And, and, and exactly, great point. In addition to Dixie's prowess in able to getting them on TV, she's also had these great relationships with these prominent professional wrestlers that have been able to bring them to TNA and keep them there.
2: Mm-hmm. And now we have Bill Goldberg getting closer in negotiations for a WWE return. After smashing Vince McMahon in, in 2009 on TMZ, what a difference seven years will make. Of course, we we saw him nearly 12 and a half years ago, basically just you know take a big dump on a, a Master Square Garden ring along with his uh, uh, colleague Brock Lesnar. Uh, but Brock, you know, Brock's been back for you know about four years now, and. You know he, you know Brock Lesnar had the, the WWE in court, so it really can't get any worse than that. And so you know Brock, Bill Goldberg will be fifty years old, so you know I think he kind of has that sting mentality, like now or never.
3: Absolutely, and if you think about it, these WWE 2K games, they need to change the title to WWE Olive Branch. Because that seems to be the way that a lot of these guys are coming back after just horrible relationships with WWE. You saw the ugly divorce with Brock Lesnar that you mentioned. He was brought back for WWE 2K, and then that kind of opened the floodgates to him to come back to WWE. With Sting, he'd never set foot in WWE, but he had to deal with 2K, and the same thing there. Now we're seeing with Goldberg. We saw it with the Ultimate Warrior, who Mm -hmm. I don't think there's ever been anybody who had an uglier relationship pre-CM Punk than Ultimate Warrior. And it's just very interesting. It's turning into an event every day. and can be that guest on WWE 2K because whenever they find somebody, it's always somebody, and, and kudos to them if this is by design, but they always seem to find somebody who is in shape, who can return and and still captivate an audience and have a following, and who it, there's a lot of intrigue behind them coming back because of some type of history they have with WWE or like they're up. So I, I really do enjoy seeing these rollouts, and, and I – Fully expect
2: Goldberg to come back. I do too. And, and I think that he has the desire to now. And, you know, There's been interviews before talking about how he wants to see, he wants his kids to see him because his kids really didn't, you know, 12 years ago, they really didn't grasp, you know, his run, especially his WWE run, which was very lackluster. You know, having another run in the WWE and making it kind of like a swan song, I think that'd be great. I, I I think that Goldberg is money. You know, there's been many talks about just him being very stubborn as far as uh, the creative uh, working with other people from a creative standpoint, as far as in the ring is concerned. But, you know, all that aside, I think that Bill Goldberg really brings, I mean, still, and almost 50 years old, I think he, he brings a level of excitement that will really kind of raise the bar with the current Product because again it's kind of like you know you're 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 working in house so much that you don't have someone from the outside you know giving you the interpretation of yeah this product isn't very good we need to kind of raise the bar a bit and I, that's why I never had a problem with part timers coming back to the WWE I never had a problem with it because I think that it brings a dynamic that traditionalists like myself thrives on instead of looking at the same matches over and over and over again, you're just kind of shuffling feuds. You need that outsider to come in and bring and raise the bar, bring that dynamic and cause interest. As many people as many people complain about that, they're, they're the main ones being interested in whoever comes back as opposed, you know, criticizing it the most, but then eventually enjoying it the most.
3: No, 100%. And to your point, WWE working with part-timers I think is valuable now more than ever because if you see the product, they are catering now to a hardcore audience. AJ Styles Mm -hmm. just beat John Cena. Finn Balor is WWE Universal Champion before having to forfeit it. Now Kevin Owens is WWE Universal Champion. Dean Ambrose is WWE World Champion. All these names are guys who came up on the independent circuit who really cater to that hardcore audience that is a smaller audience So for WWE to bring in The Rock And Brock Lesnar, Bill Goldberg and these big names Brings in that much needed casual audience Which I think is beginning to get turned off By just seeing um, Guys who be hardcore wrestling fans would know But guys who they aren't as familiar with
2: Exactly Absolutely And then finally for our headlines uh, portion uh, There's some talks I got I got to give uh you know wrestling Inc. some uh, some kudos here they uh, broke out tonight uh, uh Meltzer was talking about on uh, Wrestling Observer as far as it's basically done and then they reported tonight that it is done as far as um El uh, Botero's run in the WWE that lasted less than a year about 10, about 10 months and so yeah it's and there was you know they reported that he actually um, told his attorneys two months ago That he wanted to opt out Now a lot of people were, were talking about September being the opt out uh, he, He'd be eligible for that So he so for the past two months he's, he's been basically checked out And you saw I mean you saw that within his matches Just about every single one of them And you know and, and it's you know, sad too, it's because, sad too because, because you brought him in you with, brought the a man Mex- with a Mexican American With Zip Coulter it was, it was just really dead on arrival
3: It was, and he had so much momentum that first night he came back just with Zeb Coulter announcing him. And then from then on, it just didn't seem like they knew what they were doing. I I like the spirit of having this xenophobic character now aligning himself with Alberto Del Rio, but they executed it very poorly. I had no idea where they were going with it. Um, and Del Rio is just now, if this is his last run with WWE, which he's not a spring chicken. He's in his late thirties. Uh, I'm always going to look at him as one of those best that never were somebody who did get the opportunities, who did seem like he was primed to be a really breakout main event star for years to come at some point, but never really materialized. I'll never forget the first night he ever debuted with WWE where they after these vignettes, which I thought were very well done, they debuted him against Rey Mysterio, and he just beat Rey Mysterio clean by submission, which mm-hmm. just set him off and, and, and made, uh, made him a really big contender immediately. But since yeah. then, yeah. I just think that they, they just, it just hasn't really clicked for Del Rio, and it, which is unfortunate because he's talented.
2: It is, and I think the pivotal mark for him is when he actually lost the WrestleMania match. He won the 40-man uh, Royal Rumble, the only one. And then they booked him to lose against Edge at that WrestleMania that year. I think it was twenty-seven, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and, WrestleMania twenty-seven. Yeah, and, 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 and I have, I, yeah, yeah. And I have and I have no idea why they would have him lose the match. It was just really weird. And to me, he never rebounded from that moment. I mean, yeah, he won the Money at Bank. It was just kind of odd. And then just cashing it in after Kevin Nash power bombs uh, C M Punk that was just odd too, and they were just really trying to revive him losing Ricardo Rodriguez. I think that was just a really career killer for him. Uh, Just, you know, the times that he really tried to do it on his own, it was just no good. I mean, he, he just, he he needed someone to kind of uh, add the fire in his character to keep it alive. Uh, Otherwise, you know, there wasn't anyone just kind of blowing that, uh, you know, b- blowing what they needed. You know, as far as you know, keeping that fire uh, alive and just it, it, you, you saw that with all the times that he was just alone. It just really didn't work out. So, you know, he—he he was just money. And I saw him live in an ROH show. You know, he's—he's he's a really, really good baby face outside of the WWE, the WWE mode, and he fit more as a heel. But as you saw in Lucha Underground and you know, uh, his time with ROH, you know, people with Jay Lethal, I think that he can make a really good baby face, and I think that, you know, him and ROH fit to me. It was, it was a really good,
3: really good fit,
2: and I think he'll do well in ROH if, he, if they decide to sign him in uh, full-time.
3: Yeah, he, he's a very good wrestler, and Maybe not as much of a character, uh, even though they did give him that aristocrat thing that seemed to be working for a little bit. But, yeah, I, I, I agree that. I think in ROH, Del Rio, with his athletic prowess and, um, and just his abilities and his cachet, he, he would be able to do a lot better than he was in WWE. And also, to your point about him, you're right, because they did stream on for a while, actually, to where you'd read reports of just based on how hot he was. Any minute now, they expected him to be world champion, but it seemed like you would read things where they say, well, yeah, that was the plan, but they, they're going to extend that for another month. Or he would win money in the bank, and, and when it seemed like it was the optimal moment to cash in, they, they wouldn't let him do it. And so by the time he did become champion, it, it was just, um, I think his ship had sailed.
2: Yeah, agreed. All right, let's get to Raw, Smackdown. Get to Raw Smackdown. Here we go. SmackDown. Smackdown. you think of the Raw in Houston, Texas?
3: I thoroughly enjoyed the Raw in Houston, Texas. Houston, Texas deserves a lot of credit for being just a great crowd. Very lively and active. Um, People usually talk about Florida, New York, Chicago, even LA as these really hot wrestling cities, but I don't think Houston gets enough credit, Um, or even Texas in general. Uh, So they, they did a great job. I loved the opening segment in that you featured the guys who can talk, or the guys with these very dynamic promo abilities, and then with Roman Reigns, who I do think can give a good promo when, they, when it's within the realm of his voice, that just silent badass or, you know, silent tough guy. Uh, but Roman Reigns didn't say a word, and he just beat him up. Uh, I really think that's a perfect way to use Roman Reigns. None of this comedy stuff. Just have him be this silent guy who carries a big stick. So I like that, yeah. and I love the main event. The main event, was I thought it was a very good match. I liked how they had Kevin Owens pick his spots. Um, I, It was very uh, Pleasant surprise to see Triple H And I was shocked to see the ending I don't like the direction of Kevin Owens Being this um Kind of hand-picked champion Because they tried that with Seth Rollins And it didn't really work out And Kevin Owens is just a big tough guy who could hold his own I just want to see him exist by himself But you know very news making Raw and I, I thought it was a very good show
2: This was actually Yeah and I was I've I, I never thought or i never recalled houston being a, a smarky crowd and I, I never recalled that but they certainly exhibited that on raw but i i think from top to bottom i think this is probably one of the best raws of the year uh, i've been very very critical of post uh split raw well just pre-split raw was just horrible to me and i've been very critical of post-split raw as well but i think this was a pretty good i think the narrative is what got me um, as far as this, because it, it kind of was two bookends. And I love that when, from a creative standpoint, when you get to a three-hour show, you, you have to have bookends to the show. It, it, it creates a narrative. It, it creates a story throughout the show. And I think that this Raw did it. I think this was one of the first Raw's that really did it successfully. And I think having the, the interview, like you said, the dynamic with, With the four contenders, very, very happy that Big Cass was so over in Houston. That was awesome. And, you know, just that was good. And Jericho just really kind of solidifying his heel character. Just for someone to be almost 46 years old and still, you know, having all these incarnations and, and still successfully, you know, being a heel. I absolutely loved, it. and then the tweet after when Owens won, you know, we are the you cha- we are the uh, the the uh, universal <laughs> champion, and just uh, love that stuff, man. It, it was it just, and that to me is old school, traditional, just really immersing yourself in the character. That's the reason why I respect the crap out of Chris Jericho. It's just that awesome. just just so awesome. And then, you know, Nia Jax and Strowman both having the jobbers. And I, and I said this, uh, they do a raw review on Facebook Live uh, after the show. I, I have absolutely no problem with the jobbers for just Nia Jax and Strowman. And it's not like you see them with every other person, it's specific to a purpose of this is the reason why we're having these jobbers out there. They're not in it like they're, they're interviewing them, they're making it seem like they're treacherous all these nuances are really helping the fact that these jobbers actually mean something, you know, it's a one-off. So, you know, the NXT people can't get upset or anything like that. So I really, I really appreciate that from the jobber standpoint. Um, Here's the thing Uh, I might get, you know, I always say I might get darts thrown at me as far as this, but I'm not sold on Owens being champion. Um, He is, he's amazing in the ring. I followed his career for a number of years now. I, I think he was an amazing heel with Scum. Uh, I think he was great, you know, uh, with the dynamic with Jim Cornette when he was a heel uh, in ROH. But I just I don't think that Kevin Owens is developed enough to just throw a title on him. You know, to me, characters are mo- more most important, uh, and I think that his character. There's nothing to me. It's like he makes witty, you know, remarks, and he does, you know, he gives it, a, he he gives his all in the ring. He does a fantastic job, but there's nothing to me for Kevin Owens, you know. I might get some slack for this, and I already have, but you know, I don't think it's Kevin Owens' fault. But I think that the the WWE creative has not built Kevin Owens as a solid character enough to say, you know what. This person has the crossover appeal to, to bring people in to watching a show because he's champion. I just I don't see it. You know, as far as just the character building, I don't think his character has enough star power to please nobody but the hardcore fans.
3: I will co-sign that a thousand percent, and I'll even go further than that and say that WWE's done that on a broad scale to where. Both of the world champions are guys who could argue have more cachet with a hardcore, smaller indie audience than guys who possibly bring in a casual doing fan. Base. If I'm watching Raw mm-hmm. with, say, my girlfriend who doesn't my imaginary girlfriend who doesn't watch wrestling, and she's reading a book or doing something, is she going to look up at the screen when Kevin Owens comes on, or is she going to look up mm-hmm. on the screen when Roman Reigns comes on? Good-looking guy, you know, big, powerful, very straightforward. I think WWE might be a little carried away in catering to this hard audience that's going to be there regardless. Um, I do like Kevin Owens. I think if they give him a shot, he'd make the most of it. But I'm with you in that I don't know if he's going to be this mainstream star who is going to be able to captivate the attention of people who aren't wrestling fans the way Conor McGregor does for UFC.
2: Mhm. And, and we'll talk and I'm just carrying over to Smackdown now. I feel the same thing with Dean Ambrose. And I've always and you know and, and again, I I'm, I'm that guy. I'm that guy. I'm the traditionalist who, you know, who who will stand up for for tradition when it comes to, you know, what a star looks like and just the the essence of pro wrestling, you know, being characters. And and Dean Ambrose comes in out with a beater and jeans. I mean, come on. Like you know, he looks like a concession stand guy that just came out and should be, you know, tackled by the security because he you know, he had his moment. Ooh, let me go to the ring. You know, and the thing is, you know, I know people, you know, who, who knows Dean Ambrose and i follow Dean Ambrose. He's he's a, he's great in the ring as far as his Moxley, you know, he's he's a little bit, you know, unorthodox. He's a little um uh, a little bit too uh loose ended as far as just uh, his in ring work now compared to How it used to be but he's still uh, He's still a good competitor Uh, But uh, you know From a character standpoint there's nothing Attractive as far as him as a Character and again I'm not looking at Dean Ambrose To be the top guy based On his wrestling matches if that's The case Yoshitatsu should have been world champion I mean like you know you Have to you have to incorporate The strongest element Of someone being the top Guy to bring in these casual fans that they desperately need because their numbers aren't any higher. So they need these fans. And I tweeted, you know, uh during SmackDown tonight, I said, you know, Baron Corbin looks more uh, of a champion. Baron Corbin looks more like a champion than Dean Ambrose does.
3: I saw that tweet right before uh, we went on air, and I completely agree. I think I might have retweeted it, but I completely agree with it. Um, in that Corbin just like a star and he's so good at being a bad guy. And I'm not talking about one of these cool Kevin Owens bad guys who people are going to cheer which confuses special fans because mm-hmm. you see this guy who's presented as a heel and then the marina's cheering for him which is very confusing and disruptive to the television product. You see a guy like Baron Corbin big, strong, tough, look like more, the, he's a the bad guy with WWE. not have the, you know, come back Football on its way WWE Universal Champion Kevin Owens is going up against Green Bay Packers versus Chicago Bears Good luck with that
2: <laughs> Right Exactly Yeah, and, you know, and, and again You know, there's something They, and I think both of us Both of us are just really Emphasizing strongly you know the the fact that they need to to not it's one of those things that you know don't bite the hand that feeds you understand where you came from you know when it comes to the fact that what brought you to the dance you know the hogans and the andres brought you to the dance you know as far as you know people they they, can, they couldn't put a a good match together from an athletic standpoint if their life depended on it but they didn't need that you know and then and, and then you have and here's the thing. Here's the thing about Austin, you know his his wrestling ability actually became a bit worse when he became Stone Cold Steve Austin as opposed to Stunning 100%. Steve Austin. He was really he was really technical. He was very fast paced as Stunning Steve Austin, but he didn't have to do that as Stone Cold. You know he he did his you know his punches, his stomps. He he was very basic in the ring as opposed to Stunning Steve Austin, and that just goes to show that it didn't it didn't take a five star match and, and I wrote an uh, um, an article on Sports Keta today as far as the reason why people are more more injury prone and I, and I brought up a, f- a few you know very um, strong points as far as just the, the the narrative is so lacking these days in the pro wrestling sphere that the story and the build and the narrative all happens in the ring so you have people putting up Doing unnecessary bumps You know basically putting their lives On a line in the ring just doing Unnecessary pointless stuff For the sake of Saying Oh, okay I, I did a very Good match but if you did an Adequate build you Don't have to do a fraction uh, you, you know you only have to do a Fraction of that stuff that you do That that makes you know your that can Shave off your career and sacrifices Both you and Your opponent's you know, you know, physical and just health and well being and, and potential risk of injury because there's no build to reduce all those unnecessary spots.
3: Yeah.
2: And Andrew, there's been a 15 in WWE. I don't know this is a sign that
3: this is power. a title. Hmm. Very bad. That happens to him. But if it
2: does Yeah. Uh, yeah, for some reason your your uh, your your sound is very choppy. I don't know why for the past thirty or forty seconds. I don't know why, but uh, you sound very, very- the internet. You hear me now? Uh, Yeah, that's better. Yeah. Um, yeah I, it's, it's happening again. Oh no! <laughs> the, for the first hour and the 20 minutes, it was fine. I don't know why. I don't know what happened. Um, but it's yeah. Coming. What's that? I don't know Too real for them You said something too real for them Okay well ladies and gentlemen Let's get to the flavor of the week Uh, Both both Alfred and I Are going to uh, choose our uh, Top five um, Individuals or uh, Teams managed by Mr. Fuji So here we go It is now time for the Flavor of The Week well, he was 82 years old and we lost him um, a couple of days ago. Uh, Harry Fujiwara and um, just one of the the most um, popular uh, managers of all time. Uh, tag team champion. Just such a hand, just such a prominent and memorable um, personality and talent and pro wrestling history, especially WWE. So, Uh, I think before we get to the flavor of the week, let's uh, give a moment of silence for Harry Fujiwara, uh, better known as Mr. Fuji. All right, so the top five, uh, we're ranking the top five um, individuals or tag teams managed by Mr. Fuji. Who's your fifth?
3: My fifth, I'm going to go with individual, and that would be magnificent John Morocco, who I thought had an incredible chemistry with Mr. Fuji. Morocco is one of those guys I, I look back on, um, W Network, uh, after watching wrestling for decades, and I just think, how isn't this guy a bigger star? And I really think his relationship with Mr. Fuji was a big part of, of his appeal, uh, especially segments where they would show them in a massage parlor where, uh, where Fuji insisted <laughs> on him, him getting it was just really, it really brought out the best. in
2: Yeah, I agree. I'm going to go with crush for number five, uh, just because, you know, he was uh, the, the super baby face crush. That was just, uh, it got a little bit too, too cheesy. I think when he made the heel turn on raw and, you know, became under the tutelage of, of Mr. Fuji and feuded with, uh, Randy Savage. I think that was definitely one of the, the biggest parts of his career, as a as a heel crush, and I think uh, Mister Fuji really uh, did a fantastic job, just really honing him as a as a strong heel. Yeah, one hundred
3: percent, and that's one of the nuances of being a great manager.
2: Mm-hmm. Here's number four?
3: Number four, I'm going to go with uh, Davey Boy Smith and the late great Owen Hart. Who I thought were always a very underrated tag team. They held the tag team championships for a very long time. I want to say close to a year. And um, then there was that alliance with Jim Cornette and then Miss Fuji. And Fuji was always great in those spots um, in terms of like old school wrestling manager who knew how to get the best out of heels who were already very good at getting heat. So uh, sometimes you get a heel manager who has to do all the work. Other times they just meet you halfway. And that's what this relationship was. And that's why I loved it so much.
2: Mm-hmm. Your sound sounds, uh, the sound has been restored. It sounds great now. Good. good. Uh, <laughs> number four is uh, powers of pain. Uh, and again, it goes back to you know you have a rare list of of double turns, and I think just the double turn, the Survivor Series with with demolition, and just being with uh, with just just being such a, a huge prominent spot for for demolition and, and such a a pivotal uh, role for for that team. And to double turn against the, you know, in, in align line with the powers of pain who were baby faces, who, you know, survived their survivor series match. And just as a dastardly villainous, you know, manager would do capitalize and just go with the winners. That was just, just awesome to me. They, you know, they should have won a tag team title to me, um, especially under, you know, the, the tutelage of, of Mr. Fuji, but he, he helped them tremendously. Well,
3: my, Number three, uh, I'm going to have to go with uh, George Steele, George the Animal Steele, who was managed by uh, Mr. Fuji. He was always a tricky type of character because he didn't really talk, and he was just this, like, monster type of lovable monster. But I, I really do think under Mr. Fuji, it was one of these insane type of it's either going to be absolutely horrible or so bad it's good. And, and, and I think it was the latter. I think uh, uh, Mr. Fuji really showed his managerial job's by uh, managing somebody who I, I think is one of those characters who he seemed like he needed a manager because of what he did and how he just kind of was like the Tasmanian devil. But I don't think he George the animal steel was ever really properly used uh, with the manager as much as Mr. Fuji.
2: Hey,
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's, your, uh, that's your George Steele right there. That's uh, George
3: <laughs> steel. <That's good. laughs>
2: hey, um, so my number three is uh, <laughs> my number three is uh, Don Morocco. Uh, basically, I'm dittoing, you know, the points that you made. And, and just the Fuji Vice and just the, the segments that he had was just awesome and just really helped uh, Don Morocco be a, a, a big role uh, as far as one of the heels that was suitable to feud with Hulk Hogan at the time. Number two, I'm going
3: to go with Yokozuna, who I felt was always one of the most underrated performers in WWE history. It's unfortunate because he became the WWE champion in a time where Hulk Hogan was on his way out. A lot of eyeballs are off WWE. WWE is going through the steroid scandals. So I think overall the fact that the product took a hit hurt Yokozuna's career. But this guy, if he would have existed maybe five or six years prior, could have just been the top money-drawing heel champion, and he kind of was um, during his run, and, and Mr. Fuji helped make this just all come together. You, the, WWE did everything it could to distract you from the fact that Yokozuna was really Samoan, but the presentation was done so well with the Geisha girls, with the salt throwing, with and Mr. Su- Fuji was the icing on that cake to where I didn't know until my adult years that Yokozuna was was Samoan this whole time uh, just because of the presentation and, and Mr. Fuji really helped make that all come together.
2: Indeed, number 2 demolition um just, you know, longest reigning champs um you know all that time wasn't with Fuji but at the same time he was very instrumental in pushing them as, you know, strong baby faces. Who would have thought that they, you know, such a villainous heelish menacing team uh, would be very, very strong babyfaces because of Mr. Fuji. So he was very instrumental in just about all of their uh, – the, the peak of their career. My number one is
3: going to be the Demolition. I am um, going to echo your points and that I do think that Mr. Fuji uh, – uh, you know, Demolition was a, a very good tag team, and they're great without uh, the manager. They're a great three-man band, but Mr. Fuji did add to them, especially when – um, years into the run when um, you know maybe they, they they had run out of cool things to do. Demolition started off as basically a rip-off of the Legion of Doom, but mm-hmm. came into their own, and I think Mr. Fuji was a big part of it, and I'll, I'll never forget Mr. Fuji
2: wearing face paint, which I thought was always pretty hilarious. Sure. Yes, very much. And real quick, my number one was My Zona. I was just, you know, just him just him and Yokozuna, just, it, it, like you said, I mean, he it, it was just such an amazing part of his career, making him such a dominant heel and just making me believe that he was just a Japanese dangerous person who I was supposed to be scared of. And just that leg drop was just, I mean, it just seemed like the, a, a tree just would fall on someone. I, I would not want to be on the tail end uh, of a Yokozuna leg drop for sure. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, fantastic show. Where can we find you, Mr. Kanawa?
3: Find me on Twitter at ThisIsNasty. Read my articles on Bleacher Report and Forbes. Watch my videos on Forbes House Money Studios. And it's been a pleasure being on the show.
2: Indeed, man. I, I had a great time with you. And I think that uh, the ratings uh, may be a little bit higher than TNA because I think the mass made in been definitely delivered.
3: Absolutely, we're going to get those casual fan ratings
2: Yes, absolutely, <laughs> indeed we are But I had a I had a pleasure with you man, enjoy your evening You too Ladies and gentlemen, Alfred Kanawa from Bleacher Report and Forbes Magazine So yeah, it, it, Forbes.com, uh, fantastic, thank you so much uh, for being the uh, co-host for tonight um, yeah, I was looking forward to the dynamic and it definitely, the, uh, you know, it was, is fantastic. Uh, we used to work together. We both, he's still a feature commons. I, I was a feature commons for nearly three and a half years at Bleach Report. And, um, yeah, it was, it, it was great, uh, working alongside with, uh, him and, and, and writing articles and Bleach Report can be, as far as the commenting standpoint, Bleach Report can be some of the, uh, No pun intended, nastiest (laughs) commenters. Um, But yeah, definitely gives you some tough skin as far as, uh, you know, what you, what, as far as your writing It definitely builds your confidence as a writer as well. So awesome stuff. Thank you so much for uh, joining us. Episode 231, uh, Katie Lee, fantastic interview, fantastic co-hosting with Alfred Kanoa. Until next week, ladies and gentlemen. We are signing off for the Pancakes and Power Slam show. You all have a blessed week. Until next week, enjoy your wiki wrestling. God bless. Bye-bye.
0: With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.